Well, hello, old friend. Hello, it's Paul Carenza here. Welcome to this podcast. If you've been here for some time, you might know that this began as the Heptagon Club podcast. It's been rebranded as a Paul Carenza podcast, so I could bring you some other things out now and then, including Comedians with Books. We did that for a few episodes. And then it's been sort of lying dormant, potentially on your devices for some months, if not years. My main podcast now is the British Broadcasting Century, telling the history of broadcasting, the BBC radio and all those sorts of things. You're welcome to find us and listen to that. But I wanted to do something. I had to keep this podcast online. I had to keep on paying the monthly uh, hosting thing just to keep it going. Otherwise, the old episodes vanish. So I was thinking, what can we do with a Paul Carenza podcast? It's a bit like what can we do with a drunken sailor? Basically, a Paul Carenza podcast is a lot like a drunken sailor. Well, on this episode, there might be the occasional swear word like a drunken sailor because I decided let's keep it for some chats because now and then I've been chatting with some comedians, not many, but just one or two who get in touch and say, hey, let's have a catch up. And then you think we could have a catch up on the phone or we could record it. So this is the first of an irregular series. It'll be very much now and then. Uh, You could go weeks, you could go months without hearing from anything here, but stay subscribed and then Something will pop up in here, which on this occasion is an interview or a chat or just two people having a catch up. Now, unlike previous podcasts I've done, like the Heptagon Club or the new British Broadcasting Century, I'm not going to edit this conversation. I do like an edit. It rather trims it down somewhat. But sometimes you just want something longer form you can record and put up here and jobs are good. So it's a long one. You can edit it yourself in your own heads, I'm sure. But this is a big old conversation between me, Paul Carenza, and comedian Dan Willis. Now, I started gigging with Dan uh, about the same time as each other, back in the early noughties, 2002, 2003. And in this wide-ranging conversation that we had, we discussed, yeah, everything from those early gigs to what Dan's up to now down at Perth Fringe Festival. So I was in Guildford. Dan was in Perth in Australia, literally a world away, but united via Zoom. We've not actually spoken together for a good five or ten years, probably, but we had a great catch up, uh, including also talking about when we both were part of the Big Brother house for a show called Kings of Comedy. It was a non-broadcast pilot and we spent one week living in a TV studio together and with some other comedians. And there's one or two stories to come out of that. It's been a great pleasure to chat with Dan. And there will be more recorded conversations like this randomly pinging into your podcast inbox. If you can't wait that long, do find the British Broadcasting Century podcast. And you can find out all about the origins and the bizarre weirdness that began the British Broadcasting Company. For now, though, with a minor language warning, because it's easy to stumble on such things when you chat with people, here is Dan Willis. Uh, you're, uh, I don't want to say the uh, the dreaded phrase, you're on mute, but you're on mute. I'm mute. You can hear me. I can. How are you? You haven't changed a bit. I know. There's a receding hairlines. That's the main factor here. Oh, my, uh, my hair's dried, but I've got these pills and it all grew back again. Uh, that's what you need, isn't it? It's all about, yeah, at some point, you've got to resort to that. Dry. Yeah. How, how's it going? How's, it, Good, how's man. captivity? Well, I've put shorts on especially for you. And That's I very kind of you. So you're in, is it, where, where did you say you are? The Perth? Adelaide? Perth. Perth. I'm in Perth and then Adelaide will be happening after Perth and then Melbourne Comedy Festival will be happening after that, hopefully. Jealous. Jealous. Uh, mind you, uh, do you still perform? I perform, yeah, but I've not done a Fringe Festival for a while. Actually. I've done a couple of the small ones. I've done like Leicester because it's quite a good 
testing ground. Um, yeah. But I've not, I've not done Edinburgh since I think it's is it no it's 2015. It was the Back to the Future two year. I had to do one in back because I did a Back to the Future based show. So 2015 yeah. was Back to the Future two year. So but apart from that, only because I had to. Um, uh, no, I've not been back. It just reminded me of another adventure with you. We did a uh, preview together of your first ever Back to the Future. Uh, oh yeah, show. yes. And, uh, I did my first ever solo show, Radiohead. That's right. I, I was lucky because I got to go first, and the crowd mm. weren't interested in anything, and they vaguely put up with me. <laughs> well, it's one of those nights, as I recall, where they didn't know it was Edinburgh previews. They thought, "Oh, it's comedy. We'll just go and have a laugh." Yeah, and we, yeah. we arrived with notes going up. Right, and now an hour of this esoteric idea that I half thought of on the way here. And believe me, after the I'm peaking after six minutes, and I'm like, "This is as good as it's going to get." Mm. <laughs> you got another fifty-four minutes of this oh, to go. <laughs> long hours, aren't they? <laughs> Was that, that was a, as I recall, that was like a South London pub kind of thing. Was that right? It was out. Oh, no, that wasn't South. Oh, mm. do you know what you drove? Too long, uh, right? you, you had your friend, a uh, very pretty actress, if I remember right, oh. who played a part in your um, in your show. Oh yes, uh, yes. Oh, in which case, I know. So I, that was not South London. That was yeah, because we we drove together. Then North London. So it was like far. North of like Luton. It might have been Luton or something. Yeah, like that. might have been. Might have been actually. Yes. Ah. But you're still doing festivals. I've stopped doing festivals because I couldn't <laughs> hack the pace, but uh, and the lack of audience numbers uh, and the cost. But you are gone for it, and in fact, you're you're now in Australia and touring around festivals while we're sitting here in lockdown three. All I do, I realised years ago, because I mean, I think you'll know this, and in comedy, your first two years are crucial to whether you're going to work or not. I mean, in my first two years, I got pretty much the only TV I was ever going to get. And then um, I just kept working, and eventually uh, I got um, I got all the, you know, paid 20s and MC and jonglers and stuff like that, and I realised I was never going to make much money unless I started really up in my game. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, fuck it, I'll... Um, You've got to do something, and you've got to change up a bit. Yeah, and uh, and so I just uh, moved to Australia, and I started running shows here, producing shows, and now that's pretty much all I do. I, I produce shows, I perform. I have a world record, which no one else wanted, which is no one has performed more solo shows at fringe festivals than me. <laughs> is that right? I didn't know that. that what gen- globally, like you, you've done them. You, you just- I don't think anyone globally is because I've done. I, I realized, like in Edinburgh in 2006, I realized that the only way to make money is to do more than one show a day. So mm. I started doing two solos a day mm. and then three solos a day. And then I did one year where I thought, I'm going to break through. And I did six solo shows a day. Completely different shows. Wow. Uh, it was like my back, my back catalogue plus a new show sort of thing. And I thought, this is going to be great. And I got, because I, 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 I think I spent something like £3,000 on registration fees. Yeah, I couldn't that... afford PR. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I spent so much on Rego and um, the, the press did not pick. I thought if I'm doing six a day, the press are going to be on this, right? Yeah. And I think I got four website reviews. Where they're like, oh, this guy did it, and I'm like, I got nothing. I think this is what a lot of non-comedy people, a lot of muggles, don't realise, is that if you've got a big agent, you know, when you go to Edinburgh, you see the same names on the posters, the same uh, agency, the same producers. But if you're like you and me, and you know, you're, you've got to work, you've got to try something different and work hard at it. And the one that uh, you know, we'll both know, Yarny, 
uh, yeah, yeah. comedian who did that novel twist Edinburgh, I don't know, five, six years ago think now. Big. It was Think Big and it was about three or four, three Edinburghs ago or something. Maybe maybe so he, he, he got, he hired the biggest venue in Edinburgh for, for one night only, didn't he? I think it was like eight, 5,000 seater or something like that. I think it's 1500. It was a big one. Okay, it was a big one. But either way, it was a venue. There's no way he would normally. It's Jimmy Carr would normally play it. And as a non-famous comedian, he was like, right, for one night only. Come on, we are gonna do our best to make this the most rocking gig ever. And I know that you know he he struggled to get a crowd bless him, and I I was rooting him on. But it goes to show without that turnover of the you know the mass expense that the big producers can throw at your show. You get all the PR you want, but it's going to be tricky to fill those big venues, isn't it? It's tough. And um, I mean, I make good money in Edinburgh. In fact, it justifies the the trip and everything from Australia now. But I've got a 300-seater free venue, and um, Mm. it it does the business. And I do two solos a day, and then I MC a gig at night. And the MC gig is just at 7 p.m., and that's my walk-around money. Mm. Everything else gets, uh, I'd like to say, banked and gets cashed in yeah. a bag. <laughs> right, okay, under the duvet, yeah, under the mattress, yeah. <laughs> but, wow. um, so that works for me there, but over here, mm. I mean, I've, I earn what I'd consider, I, I, you know, I own a house here, I, I bought my mum's flat in a, in, in a nothing, it was an ex-council place in the UK, and I actually have a nice lifestyle paid for by comedy, but no one knows who I am, so... Mm. I perform a lot, I headline gigs, it's like, and, um, but I've never really, I, don't, I think I used to want to be famous, but that was maybe just as uh, I wanted to kiss more girls, let's say. <laughs> well, why be famous when you can make a living, you know, if it's working, and, if it's working. Yes. And uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm happily married with a kid and a dog. What, what kind of dog you got? Uh, we've got a cockapoo, so uh, yeah, I've just walked How many out. cockapoos do I, everything, mm. for the poodles, whoever's the lucky poodle who's getting all the ladies. I know, the thing is, well, I'm allergic to most things, and a cockapoo, it turns out, is like the only breed, because it's, you know, been bred, the, the, the allergies are bred out of it, so uh, that's the one I considered, it's like, that's it, cockapoo or nothing, and I'm now thinking my we should have gone for nothing, but you know. My dad has a cockapoo, and he got one about, I think it was about four months ago because we got well our, we had a ridgeback over here and when she passed away about five six months ago we thought oh we'll get another dog and i went oh we're thinking about it then we found a rottweiler puppy and my wife taught me into it because she had a rottweiler when she was a kid i was still scared of them to be honest and um so we got ourselves a rottweiler and he is huge and really? he's like he's 23 weeks old and oh. he's 30 kilograms already <laughs> and he's only about he's only about a third of his way through growing <laughs> and are, are they deep down lovable lovable uh little little playthings that we just don't see normally rottweilers are so easy to train they use as police dogs in um in germany and places like that well they're from germany it's a, a german breed and um I did a lot of research and they, they are soft as, they do as they are trained to do. That's why people can train them to be angry. Mm, okay. And um, so if you properly train one and raise it, and so you've got to socialize it a lot. And uh, but he's great, Brucey, runs around. Oh, Brucey, you've got a dog yeah. called Bruce and you're in Australia, how marvelous. No, it's Brucey, it's Brucey, Brucey. named after Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> Brucey bonus. Very good. You right, man? It was. 
who was the best guest we had on the Gloria Hunniford show when I used to do the warm-ups for her years ago. Well, this dates it. This dates it. Brucey is a guest on Gloria Hunniford. Wow. That would have been about 15 years ago, maybe longer, mm, mm. maybe even like 17 years ago. And it was great because he did everything. He just rocked up and he was tap dancing and he was running around cracking jokes. He did all my work. And I'm a lazy guy. So, you know, someone's doing all my work for me. He even did the commercial breaks. He was jumping up and going, and then uh, I always remember because the next day we had David Essex on, who was lovely, but uh, he's about 10 years younger than Bruce. maybe even more. And he was walking around with a, a walking stick, could barely stand up. And I was thinking, that's class A drugs for you. <laughs> well, time back to what we were saying about fame uh, before, I've got a, a comedy writer friend, James Carey, who his theory always used to be, you know, we used to moan about the fact that popular comedians get onto sitcoms or panel shows or whatever. Yeah. And, and but particularly that producers... When you're pitching a sitcom idea, producers say, yeah, but, you know, can we crowbar Jack Whitehall into this? Or can we crowbar, you know, popular comedian of the day into this? And James Carey's attitude was always, he had this thing where he said, the general public, you know, the comedy industry think that we've heard of these 80 comedians who are about to break through or have done Mock the Week once or whatever. But the truth is we haven't. And you can be on Mock the Week a, a thousand times. And the general public have only all heard of Brucey. His thing was the only famous person in Britain is Bruce Forsyth, and now he's gone. So basically, this whole thing of chasing celebrities to be on your thing, thinking it will make it better, it won't unless you've got Brucey. And from now on, unfortunately, you ain't got Brucey. No Bruce Forsyth. This so we have Brucey the dog. He's available for everything. There you are. Um, he, he, he gets yeah, he's house trained, but he will get overexcited and piss himself if, if well, someone new in. <laughs> if Gloria <laughs> Hunnison were making TV shows today, I'm sure she would book him tomorrow. And uh, in a piece of that accident, it'd be hilarious. That was um, that was the first piece of regular money I got in in comedy, the Gloria Hunnison show, and it was only fifty quid a day for uh, doing, and it was but it was five times a week. So it was a daily chat show. And it was 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So it was just a regular, yeah. you know, it was a regular 250 a week. And uh, that that when you when you're scraping through really does come in handy. I think people yeah. don't realise how little people think, oh, you're doing what anything to do with TV, you must be raking it in. And uh, 50 quid of the show is not what people expect, I think, of uh and the, of things. The industry standard was a lot higher, but this is channel mm. five back when channel five was in its infancy. Mm. so they had next to no money extra you know so it was a um it was actually do you remember ed balls who used to run the mm. the ballam oh that ed balls not the uh, politician ed balls yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he got me into it because he was a writer for them he actually yeah. died about seven years ago i think okay. he, he moved back to australia I tried, and there's a sad story. I tried to get to his funeral, but I couldn't make it. Literally, I found out the day before when it was in Canberra, mm. and I thought, I'll just go. Mm. But then I couldn't drive at the time. I've had to learn to drive since the birth mm. of my daughter. And I was like, well, I just couldn't physically make it. Mm. So that's a shame. But he got me the, uh, the gig, and it was great. Just to jump out of bed at one in the afternoon, shoot down to Tottenham Court Road. <laughs> the good old days. Well, things were easier then. You know, you could lie in, you could do these sorts of things. You could even gig, which I can't do here now, but there you are. You, no, but you've got it. You write for the BBC, is that right? Yeah, so I've got, I mean, I, I wear a 
dozen different hats really but the the gigging is a i, I do a few gigs still but not as many um in, in normal days i do about one a week some of like that uh, one or two a week and um uh and more solo stuff um rather than the, the circus such but yeah a lot more writing which is writing for, i've got like two sitcoms that i write for regularly ongoing but um that only takes up what, a week or two you know a couple of weeks a year really and then writing yeah. for you know pitching my own ideas writing books i've just started writing for cbbc a children's show an existing one so just yeah i'm one of the staff writers for that um, yeah. and you know articles and stuff like that so as a writer it's like you need you know you just need unless you're jk rowling or, or whatever or, or or someone similar yeah just fine i just got to work across 12 different genres just to make it all add up really you know it is. Right. I actually, um, I listen to Radio Five Live quite a lot because it it's, it tends to line up with my daytime if I'm at the gym or if I'm walking around a driver. And uh, it, it must have been a couple of years ago. I was driving home from a gig in Melbourne. It was like I don't know one in the after, one in the morning, and um, you came on talking oh. about Christmas books. Oh yeah, okay, that would be me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I did not know you were an expert on Christmas, Paul Corinthians. Well, do you know, it's funny you say that. Neither did I until a few years ago. I wanted to write. I want. I was. I've written a couple of books, but I wanted something a bit more historical because I like history stuff. But I'm a bit of an amateur historian. Wish I'd studied it at properly uni and all that. And uh, and I thought I'm interested in Christmas and like the way it all links together and Dickens and not just the isolated trivia facts sort of thing but the way it all links together so the way that Dickens was inspired by Washington Irving who sort of heard the Santa stories and started spreading that amongst kids and things like that and it all links together I thought okay well there's I couldn't find the book that I wanted to read about it so I thought I'll write that book instead and um, but it's all been part of a slightly calculated thing I've not talked about this much really but um, the Christmas thing I thought I'm going to try and put a flag in the ground and be like the go-to guy about Christmas so that every year it comes around again the phone will ring, Radio 5 Live, local radio, whatever, talk about history of Christmas, plug the book, and so it continues. And I'm now doing the same, but I've done Christmas, so I'm now doing the history of the BBC and the history of broadcasting, early radio, how we got to this, how the whole BBC is based on basically four people having a few random ideas in 1922. And again, I'm trying to put that flag in, I've sort of got the flag in the air, and I'm still trying to just stick it in the ground. So that's why I've got this a podcast, a novel, and a TV show idea. I'm hawking around at the minute. Again, just because the anniversary of the BBC is 100 years old in two years' time. So by that point, my plan is, my goal is to get that flag in the ground. Boom, I'm the go-to guy for Five Live, etc. to go, we need someone who knows about this. And uh, it's the Christmas guy again. Let's get him back. I tried to do that with computers a few years ago. I uh, wrote a solo show because I used to be a programmer before uh, doing all this. did 10 years of an IT degree and then worked my way up. And... Um, I wrote a show called Control Alt Delete and thought that's it because I'd occasionally get booked for a corporate event and it would be horrendous. I'd turn up to they go, "Oh, you're the computer guy, you know, you should." So I wrote an hour show and and cut it down to half an hour to do a um, to do corporate events, which worked great for about four or five years. And then I realized, like last year, I I only did one last year and then I withdrew the show because I did the Internet Awards for Australia, and none of them knew what a ZX Spectrum, a Commodore yeah. 64. They had <laughs> no idea. Your references. Yeah, yeah. And, now I'm like, and I was like, oh, I've got to rewrite this bloody uh, show. I mean, I got away with it, because I just went into a sort of clean stand-up comedy set. Right. But I was like, oh, now I've got to rewrite this yeah. thing now. It's a so now, world. 
just oh it's like because uh, sometimes you get paid stupid money it's like microsoft mm-hmm. paid me like three and a half thousand pounds to do their graduate intake and they, those graduates had never seen a free bar before right okay <laughs> like yeah. 200 of them they know space and, bar not a free bar yeah, free bar but and um that and it, but Microsoft liked it because all of their all of their managers were at the front, and they were like, "Oh, Dan, thank you for doing that. That was good fun." And I was like, "It was if you went beyond the second table, it was just like the last yeah. days of Gamora, going crazy, drinks getting thrown in the air, and all sorts of stuff." So there is there's lots of money in it, but then I just kind of a little bit of my soul dies every time I get booked for a corporate, and I'm like, "Oh, I don't really enjoy them being in the diary and." But yeah. I need the money, or I'd like the it. money all the time. And so, so I, I, I was the computer guy, and it didn't. I tried to get. Do you know what's the worst thing? I, I tried to. Um, I pitched some jokes to the uh, the IT crowd. There was now there was a uh, a writer in Edinburgh, mm. and I pitched some jokes, and they didn't even respond. But they did make it into the show. So no way! Oh, that's cheeky. That's cheeky. Oh man. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <sighs> so here's what they liked, and then they um, popped right. up. But then BBC came for that show. The BBC came and put me on Click, which was oh, massive. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that got me a lot of work because mm. uh, they they literally came and wanted to talk about technology and the interview went really well so the, the actual bit ended up just me for 25 minutes on on bbc click worldwide and i picked up a few gigs and got to fly around and do a bit and then uh, as i say that show is de- i've beaten it to death <laughs> well if your references are all like hey you remember alta vista and uh, ask jeeves then you know there's a new kid in Kent. You've got to learn what Google is. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. Mine are older than that. Mine are like typing 10 print Dan, yeah, 20 yeah. go to 10. That was know, my like, era. Amstrad CPC. Know, oh, wow. How old are you now, Paul? I just turned 42 last week. Okay, I'm 47. So it is, I mean, nowadays, all the people with money in IT are in their early 20s. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a YouTube generation now. And uh, yeah. I watch YouTube, I enjoy YouTube, but I know nothing about that. Stuff. Well, do you know what? And I can say this knowing full well, this video being recorded, um, mainly for audio for a podcast, but potentially this could end up on YouTube. Um, so thank you. Glorious masters. Um, but I, um, uh, you know, I, I, as a writer of, of sitcoms and things, I've uh, occasionally, normally about three times a year, get a meeting with uh, a production company or or talent or whatever you want to call it. I hate the word talent as if we're not all talent you know um but about you know can you write a sitcom for work with this person we've got this thing we want to get in development they normally never come to anything you know but I had one uh, about 18 months ago and it's the first time I was just stumped really because it was with a YouTuber and it's with a guy who has millions and millions of followers he get every video puts gets millions and millions of hits and oh. he wants to make a sitcom but because nowadays he's, you know, this the YouTube generation are, I don't want to say entitled as a negative thing, but, you know, they they set their own rules. You know, whereas I'm used to, like, I go to the BBC and bow down and say, how can I bend over backwards to, you know, I want to, I want to adhere to your rules. 
Instead, he was going, he was, we had his meeting at the BBC and he's saying like, I don't want to make a half hour show. I, I want to make a show that's as long as it needs to be. It might be 20 minutes one day, 38 minutes the next. And by the way, I own all the rights to it. I'm putting it on YouTube. And if you want it on the BBC as well, you can do that. But it was, he was going in knowing what he wants. And the BBC were going, okay, yes, sir, please show us your ways, YouTuber. We do not know anymore how to reach these people who watch your stuff because they're watching him and they're not watching classic, you know, traditional telly. So the BBC were totally in the palm of his hand going, you set the rules, we'll do it, whatever you want, got fine. And I just didn't get it. I was like, how do we write a sitcom for this guy when every minute is a different part of his brain firing off over the screen and in a different way? I, I, could, I couldn't. Yeah, and I look at things, you've got to be, I think confidence gets you pretty much 98% of the way there. Mm. And I always, in back when I was getting meetings and, auditions that's I, i'd be confident on stage but as soon as i got into a meeting scenario with someone that could make a lot of difference to my career i genuinely just fold and turn into this oh, mm. oh, oh yeah that'd be brilliant thank yeah. you that'd be oh. <laughs> that's it, you know. whereas i mean someone asked me a question i'm not saying name because she's a good act and she's a nice person but she gets a lot of tv that particular act oh, over the last yeah, few okay. years and um they said, well, how does she get that? I said, do you know what she does? She goes into meetings and goes, this is what you want. This is what's going to be mm. successful. Blah, 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 blah. And she basically tells the producer that this is this is what is what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I've been in meetings like that where you can, you can feel the, the atmosphere change because the person you thought was in the driving seat, the producer, the executive producer, the commissioner, suddenly gets, you know, you can always see like the wind in their face as the, as the talent comes in, the star print name, whatever it might be, the writer, the creator, the comedian comes and goes, boom, this, you know, sorry I was late. Well, not sorry I'm late. I'm late. I'm not sorry. And here's the thing, bang. And they go, wow, that's the, my world has been rocked. Please make a thousand of these. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I've never been that person. And I, so nowadays, I mean, I, I produce shows and I fly people in from the UK and we put on shows and we two of them. And, uh, I got lucky with COVID because I'd finished two festivals and then Melbourne Comedy Festival got cancelled. Obviously, Edinburgh got cancelled and uh, any gigs got cancelled, but I'd earned about half my annual salary by then. So mm. I was basically okay. Was, that's why yeah. at the minute, that's why I'm, I'm here in Perth, sat in a hotel room, just waiting for uh, to get released <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah. But the, the police came around today, the Rosers. They came around and they were banging on the door and checking that I was in here. And oh, good. Yes. I you thought were. I was, yeah. And um, I thought I was out on lunchtime on Friday. And they were right. like, no, midnight. So I lost another show. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I no. can't pull off the show. <laughs> <laughs> were you tempted to do the knock on the door and you attempted to do the uh hello this is a pre-recorded message from dan he's not here right now but uh, uh etc etc they've all got guns pepper spray and all oh, sorts okay. of stuff here yeah don't miss and, uh, it's yeah. so it's, it's sort of generally I, I, I just realized i've got it written down so i don't forget them my favorite paul carenza memories i've got oh, okay. i've got them for you all right on, my point, i am very disappointed by the fact that you're hardly ginger anymore, Paul. No, it's going, going, gone. Yeah, shocking, isn't it? Well, you know, I used to do a joke about the fact that you don't get any uh, ginger people over the age of 40. And the joke was like, you know, so what happens? They go grey, they go bald, or they just die. They just, you know, get to like 39, that's it, you know. Um, and how the, we're going to wear the squirrels, the greys are chasing out the reds. And sure enough, you know, it's, I don't know what I am now, it's sort of brownish. It's just boring. It's just dull. It's not the fiery red it used to be. 
there's no just for men for gingers. There's not, is there? There's ginger no like, oh, would you like to go back to ginger? And yeah. it's like, uh, oh my word. Yeah. But no, uh, I remember because you may not know. Do, do you remember gigging at the Purple Turtle? I do, yes. Paddy. That was one of the first gigs any comedian would do in London because they'd answer else. the phone yeah. and they'd quickly write it down. So yeah. the bar staff would answer the phone. They'd put, it was a bloody horrendous gig. I think yeah, I did yeah. it about 12 times and probably enjoyed four of them. Yeah, they were nice people, me. but the gig was not pleasant. Yeah. You know, nice to work for, yeah. but that was it. Yeah, 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 and I think the idea was they put 15 acts on, and that's mm. probably 12 drink sales. Right, right. <laughs> yes, a, right. a few more, you know yeah. what I mean? I think that was the idea. And that, I think that generally worked, but I remember I did about six gigs. I ended up doing a laughing horse gig, and they this woman said, oh, that was quite good. You can come and do my gig, but I'd like mm. to see you again to make sure. And I've forgotten her name, but she came to see me. I was an idiot. I said, oh, cover the purple turtle. And you went on and uh, did quite well. Oh, and thanks. I thought, this will be great, right? You did your Churchill impression. Oh, no. Yeah, still do it. And then I went on and I panicked because no one was, there was just other comedians and I'd never been at a gig like this. And mm. I ended up saying like, some punchline to do with some joke I'd written about pregnant women on the tube, right? right. It was terrible, it was hack, it was whatever, Ooh, but I had okay. about six weeks. And it was like, it finished with, take that, you pregnant bitch, or something like that, right? Uh, it was like, that was it. She was like, no, I can't book you. Uh, you right. said pregnant bitch. And Ooh, I was like, yeah. oh, and then she went to you and booked you. So I was like, you oh, right. Oh, case, I, know, I know who it was. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly who it was. And trust me, the gig I ended up doing, you didn't want to do anyway. It wasn't worth it. You, know, you, didn't... you don't know these things. You don't yeah. know these things. No. And then I, um, there was this horrendous, there are good gigs as well. Mm. I remember you playing, you played the BBC Comedy Awards. I went down yeah. to watch that. Oh, yes. And yeah. uh, you did your Who Ate the Sum of All Pies or whatever right. it was. Yeah, yeah. Still got <laughs> that in the boot of the car. You never know when you need it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but then I remember we went and did this, this, this terrible promoter who had, he had loads of gigs for about three, four months, and they were all paid. Mm. And uh, we went out in the middle of nowhere to do this gig, and you, you were emceeing, and he made you go on to an empty room. He did. Now that was Deal. In, and I still tell that story. Yeah, that was Deal in Kent. And I wrote it up in my book, the first book I did. Uh, so a comedian walks into a church. I wrote up that story, but I changed the location to Wales, I think, because it just suited where I was in the story. But actually, yeah, that was Deal in Kent. And it was... Yeah, oh, I remember because I mean I used to be friends with uh, Mick Coppin, who and I call the Scottish comedian. We're not friends anymore, but that's oh, a, no. yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> but um, and we had we we you know you'd think your fellow kid because Kevin Precious was on as well. I think there's Kevin, mm. Nick, and me and you. Yeah, and um, you'd think we'd be supportive, but I was so I, I get embarrassed for I've got empathy too much of it, right? Right, and I get embarrassed for sitcom characters when something embarrassing happens. I hate it. I'm like, oh, I gotta switch over. So when you were sort of like going on stage, I just went to the toilet. I said, I can't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I was least supportive yeah. person. Yeah. Oh, oh man. man. Well, do you know what? I've while you've been talking, uh, if I've looked distracted at all, it's because I remember I've got on this computer, and I only found this the other day. I used to keep a, a list of every gig that I'd done, 
And what I've got is the gig number it was, so first gig, second gig, third gig, so up to about the first thousand. Uh, the dates, I rate myself out of five. For some of the gigs I put who I was on with, where it was, how much I got paid, and where I was in the bill. And sure enough, if I search for Dan Willis, the, in fact, the first gig I've logged you as doing uh, that we did together, I, it wouldn't be the first one we did together, but yeah, yeah. the first one I noted down was, yeah, Friday, October the 3rd, I don't know the year, probably 2003, four. Um, my, it was my 307th gig. Uh, it was me and it was Coppin, as you said. It was Kevin Precious, deal in Kent, 80 quid to compare. So there you go. That's what I was after. That was what I was paid to go on to an empty room because everyone was oh. in the pub next door and the promoter was trying to lure them in. And uh, yeah, true, true, awful gig. Oh man! And then we we did we spent four days in the Big Brother house together. We did, we did do that. Yeah. And I fact, always remember- be, before you do the Big Brother, let me just because I forget otherwise, I've just searched for your name on this gig list, and out of interest, the next one I've got. Just see if this sparks anything. I'll come back to the Big Brother in a second. Just while I've got this, three hundred ninety eighth gig, Thursday, May sixth, the year after that. Willis, Henrik Elmer, Michael Legg, the Buzz Club in uh, Manchester for Agraman. Do you remember that gig? I don't. But, you know. I remember all my buzz. I only, do you know what? It, I got in with the buzz only about a year before they closed down. Oh, right. So it was one of the nicest gigs you could do. I remember that one very well because Agraman wasn't there. Okay. And I introduced you and, and Newcastle were playing on the, on the uh, TV. So I knew you'd be mm. on for 20 minutes. So I went downstairs mm. to watch the football for 15 minutes right mm. and barmaid comes running down and goes where are you going where are you going i was like well paul's on for t- no sometimes they're awful they have to be dragged <laughs> off and, and you were having a great seen me before <laughs> 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 like, yeah but not this one <laughs> you know so that she literally insisted that i stood next yeah. to the stage she, she, she so looked, well, I get that at some gigs, you know, when the bouncer looks you up and down and the, they say, you know, it's fine to get in and go, oh, I'm one of the comedians. And they look at you and go, you don't look like a comedian. Don't look funny. So the barmaid must have looked at me and thought, it won't last 20. No, <laughs> Come, get the compare. Yeah. Because the buzz was lovely. I remember um, the first time I did it, I did it as an open spot and Jim Jeffries was closing. Mm. And um, I had a really good gig and Ackerman gave me 30 quid, whereas he was mm. only going to give me a tenner. And Jim's like, fuck, fuck, Jim. Fuck, you expected every fucking gig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was really nice. And then he booked me. And then I probably got about maybe four or five gigs out of the Buzz Club before it, it sort right. of stopped. Yeah. They tried to bring it back as the Zub Club. And, but you know, when it's such a shame yeah. when a, a lovely club just stops existing. It is. It is. That was a, a lovely, it was a nice gig. Worth traveling to all the way to Manchester just for that. But, um, I've got you down for two more on the list. Uh, Friday, September 30th, a couple of years later, probably 619th gig, uh, GSOH Waybridge that I used to run. It was me, you, and Robin Ince, apparently. Yeah, yeah. no, I remember that. That actually got reviewed, that one. I got a review with it. Yeah, I did say uh, it was a nice one. I was filthy as hell. I do nowadays have a really filthy set and a clean set, but back right. then... <laughs> For the Microsoft gigs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I was represented. Were, did, were, we, were you represented by John Briley? Yeah, well? I set that gig up with John Briley. That was our, our gig. And um, one of my big regrets is that we... Actually, it wasn't the Weybridge one. We set up another one in Epsom uh, in like an art centre gig. And I was regular oh. compare there, but I had one week off. And I was fine. I could have done the gig, but I... 
I was a bit under that. I think I had a bit of a cold or something. I thought I better just stay. I mean, nowadays, of course, you, you come down with a lurgy, you stay at home. But back then, a bit of a sniffle, you might do the gig because uh, you don't get paid otherwise, you know. But I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a night off. And um, it was Danny, Danny, what's his name? Danny, it was Danny uh, someone who was a replacement compare. And yeah, he had yeah, the glasses, yeah. he yeah, did a lot of jobless gigs. He used to do the joke about the helicopter. Um, he, he used to misuse compare references. That's a whole other story. You know what? I used to, he used to be the bane of my life, not for, for any bad reasons. I was a dickhead and I would be like, why is this guy? He, he, Danny, J Danny James? No, Danny, no, no. Danny, James, yeah, Danny James? James, Danny Jones. Danny James? Danny James. Let's say James. But he was replaced with compare. And I found out the next day that my granny and granddad, who lived nearby, went along that night to see me uh, and they'd never seen me on stage before and they thought we'll go along but we won't tell him we're coming because we don't want to freak him out we'll just sort yeah. of sit at the back and they watched the entire show waiting for me to come on and for a while i think they thought they knew i was better be comparing they're looking at danny james going is that paul it doesn't look like paul and i found the next day it's like i could have done the gig and it's like the one gig the one time that either of them ever came to see me before when i wasn't on and i just had a night off oh, cold, you know so my, I my, Danny. my grandmother um you see i like danny james but back then i'll be oh he used to have ridiculous stories that would just he you know, had like, stories like, that is you true. know what i mean he had stories. and i just roll my eyes and i'd be like oh my god really you dated princess diana kylie minogue all, all you, you, you wrote the new james bond theme and all yeah. that and i was all of those are true all of i'm not true but all of those he would say all of those all of those it's yeah and for some reason i, I thought to myself oh i can't and and other acts have done the same to me where um they just don't think I'm I'm a good actor or whatever, and they they you know, give me a bit of a back room. It doesn't bother me anymore. It's all waters off the duck's back. But back then, I'd get like oh annoyed. But uh, yeah, because I was I was represented by John Brightley for yeah. about two or three years, and then mm. with an agrimonious split. And uh, I don't think he'd say nice things about me nowadays. No. And, uh, but, you know, it's like it was all right. He's and, doing uh, wrestling promoting nowadays. I think yeah, he'll be mm. making a lot more money with a lot less yeah. stress. True. I yeah. Um, yeah. And because it is, was it Paul B. Edwards? Who oh, yeah. remains a good friend of mine. Mm. He said to me, Dan, when you're promoting, the worst thing about comedy is dealing with comedians. Right. That <laughs> <And, laughs> point is a fair point. And I can say, yeah. given that, even though I'm stuck in this room, mm. I'm promoting and producing shows at Perth Fringe from my room. And it is the worst. They, they are. Mm all idiots including myself <laughs> yeah yeah and they drop out and drop and they it's just you know it's like mm. just ego city and you're just mm. like oh my word and there yeah. are wonderful people and i'm not saying any of them are bad people it's just you know yeah I'm, i have to deal with about 20 a day right and uh my mates rang up another comedian terry north and he goes oh he goes um oh i should be all right he's stuck in adelaide he arrives probably sunday and um he goes, oh, I've got Rory doing that. I said, really, Rory's doing your gigs on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Your gig that's exactly the same time as mine, and Rory's meant to be emceeing him. Oh, <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh, Rory said it'd be all right. <laughs> oh, dear. Is this the comedians? No, this is all feasible. It's all working, and I'm just like, oh. Man. All chances. Can't trust them. But, um, uh, I want before, before you can tell me the Big Brother story any second, but one last gig I found, which it was me and Dan. Oh, keep, and it, keep pumping them, keep pumping them. I'm happy. This I'm is doing the last it. one I've got. The last one I've got that I noticed Dan for yourself as well. And in fact, it was the it was earlier than the deal one. I've just found it was early. 
uh, 265th gig I did Sunday, March 30th. I rated myself two stars out of five. Not a good one. Quite a few of us like this. Dog Bites Man was the gig. Um, I got 25 quid for doing 20 minutes. And it was me and you and Paul Arnold and Petrie, which must be Ed Petrie, Nick Revel, uh, someone called Shuff. Don't know who that surname is. James Davis and Clara. So there you go. That was a show. Dog Bites Man was in um, That was Clara and... Steve Carling used to run that gig. Oh, that's right. Yes. And it was, you know, that's where I learned to do longer sets at that gig because they were both good friends of mine. And I, um, I'd i go down most Sundays to see if they could put me on. Mm. And then it, it became sort of like they, they, they used to fill the room really well. And then they got a warning off the council for putting posters up. And it was sort of one of those posher areas of London, you know, you're not allowed to put posters up and mm. stuff like that. And it started easing off. And then um, there were weeks where there hardly any comedians would turn up, but they'd maybe get four or five people in. So I'd go on and just do like 35, 40 minutes. And mm. it was sort of, that's where I learned, that's really where I learned to pace a longer set, really, because I was doing that once a week for about two or three months. And then they just gave it up because there was, right. there was no money in it. <laughs> That's the it. That, I mean, those were the, the glory days of when the London comedy scene had a lot of gigs and most of them paid a, either at least a, a drink or a tenner maybe or 20 quid or whatever. Whereas nowadays it's all, you know, there's not many gigs and it's bring a friend. And I mean, right now they're all closed anyway. But, you know, it, it, when it was open, it wasn't the glory days of... Um, yeah, yeah. Of no, it's, you know what's funny? I used to say, oh my God, if I'd started 10 years earlier... I, it would be easy. It would be a breeze. And then I was chatting to a, another British act last year, and they said to me, oh, I wish I'd started 10 years ago, because it was really easy back then. And I'm like, mm. I started 20 years ago. There's a saying, what's the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The next second best time to plant a tree is right now. So it's like, you know, it's, it was always be- better and easier 10 years ago in whatever you're doing, I think. And oh, yeah, if, if yeah. not, you just got to get going before it's another 10 years go by. Absolutely. So it's a, uh, I do love it. So you got, you're married with children now, is that right? Yeah, married with children. My wife's at work at the local hospital uh, where she's been working last year. And uh, the kids that we've got two homeschools happening around me uh, due to schools being closed for, for right. pandemic reasons. I strangely see you as a good homeschooler. Well, I mean, I'm good in that I leave them to it. The video calls are happening. Um, I'm using this right now. Our video call is via my phone's 4G so that the Wi-Fi is left free for the kids and then the teachers can do their thing. So there we go. I just, I don't, I'm a terrible, I, I, for the first, we only had proper lockdown here for about two months, if that. And so I had to do probably about six weeks of homeschooling for my six-year-old daughter. Mm. And... They, the teacher would send the lessons and you'd have to video a certain amount of videos of them doing the lessons. Oh, okay. And after about three days, I realized I could just cheat. And, <laughs> and I write... That's a good lesson for your kids. So Dolly, because she was only five at the time, she's six now, and uh, it was all simple stuff, you know, and spelling words and this, that, the other. And, and I'd have the cheat sheet there, and Dolly would be like, oh, and this, that, and she'd be reading it. But every so often, she'd pull the cheat sheet into shot. And I'd be like, oh, we got to go off then! It was like, things. boom, dropping in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Fix it in post. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, my word. Uh, speaking so, of TV, Big Brother House. Let's talk about Big Brother. 
Well, we, this is years ago, Endemol, prior to every single Big Brother, they will do a rehearsal week as live. And so there are lots of people that have done normal Big Brother. I think the worst one to do is I'm a Celebrity. So you, you go down, they do that in Australia and have a week of uh, I'm a Celebrity with all just normal bods like me or you. And you have to eat all the crap. And, and, and you just get paid like 100 bucks a day for doing yeah. it. You know? and, and not be on telly. There's no fame. There's yeah. no fame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so and I, it, it's possibly the easiest TV gig I've ever got because I got two emails. One was from John Briley and one mm. was from Hills Jago. And okay. it was like, John Briley goes... I know, I did the Hills one first. The Hills, Jago one went, I've been approached by a production company. So these, we should say these are both comedy promoters who normally would book yeah, stand-up yeah. comedy nights and things, yeah. Um, you know, and back in the day, I got on well with both of them, and I've never fallen out with Hills. And uh, John, you know, he represented me and it didn't go well. And, you know, we ended up going our separate ways. But uh, Hills was like, oh, this producer and la-da-da. And, uh, so if you send me your video, I will peruse it and then I shall send it to the producer. Mm -hmm. So she's holding on to all of the Absolutely. cards, yeah. right? It was Briley in my moment. Yeah, I've been approached by these guys. Here's Endemol's address. If you want to get in, just give them a ring. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's the difference right there. That's the difference. <laughs> and so I just sent them my um, comedy store video on VHS. And they rang back a day later and went, you're in. I think they literally gave it to the first, whatever, what was it, eight of us? Eight I think of us, it was. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, we did that for, and do you know what? I got it out of my system because I always wondered it'd be, it would be what it would be like to be in a Big Brother sort of house. And well, it, yeah, it's, and you can't manufacture that experience. You know, you, you think, oh, well, I'd like to see what it's like to write a sitcom. You can write a sitcom, maybe it's never made. But a thing like yeah. this, I'm glad to have done it because it was a once in a lifetime experience oh, yeah. to live in a TV studio for, for a week with cameras behind mirrors that you could see the cameraman. You could see him as you're brushing your teeth on, you know, weird. And uh, it was, it's a, I, I, I did enjoy it and it was nuts. And uh, it was crazy because I'd literally had a very short relationship with Karen, Karen Cockrell. That's right. Yes, was, I'd forgotten that, that we went in and we only realised when we were in there, like, oh, well, at least two people here have been in a relationship because it turns out the comedy world is a small world. <laughs> so, and the producers world. had no idea. It's a tiny world. <laughs> and um, uh, we'd only, we'd, I mean, it wasn't like, a, you know, it, it, we'd, be, we'd dated for a couple of months and then we stopped dating, you know what I mean? So, and it was no, I, no, actually, you know, Karen would laugh because she, she was like, oh, I can't believe you considered a relationship. Last time we, were, we met up for a drink years ago and I was like, oh my God. But um, yeah, so it was just straight in and then it was having to write stuff every day and I really enjoyed working with Anna Curl. And we, we meant, we, this is when, what was it? It's 15, 20, 18 years ago, probably, I think. Uh, and we kept meaning to do something together. And I haven't seen Curly Whirly for years. Yeah, I was in uh, touch recently. She's down in Cornwall and gigging a bit. And uh, yeah, where possible. Yeah, so there's a good bunch of people. Yeah, Annika and Matt Diktinski and... Um, Matt's uh, in Perth now. He's, he's, a, Perth. He's, a, he's a radio DJ here. Uh, he he was always meant to be a DJ. I could tell. The other voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, always, and it was one of those experiences I'll never forget. I realised you could open the toilet if you gave it a, a solid kick, it would just bounce the lock open. I knew this I was going to come up. I knew, I knew this was going to come up. 
I'd be waiting. And I saw you get up for a midnight shit and it was just gorgeous. It couldn't, it couldn't get it any better. And um, well, I let you settle and then I just gave it a kick and it just flew open. And I've never seen anything brighter in my entire life oh. than a near naked Paul Carenza. Do you know what though? <laughs> I've, I've retold that story recently. I'm doing a Monday uh, Facebook live show throughout the last year for lockdown. And, you know, it was a half hour thing and we anecdote a week. And I thought this will test me to, you know, rummage around the brain for some anecdotes. And I told that story about 10 weeks ago, but I never realized there was like a calculated, I'm going to let him settle kind of moment. Because yeah, yeah. when I retell the story, from my perspective, the locks we knew were all faulty. I'm on the loo. And suddenly the lock which is out of reach it's not it's a quite a big bathroom yeah, and, also, and, the, and the bathroom was the one room without cameras in it and it had a microphone right that held you right in front of your face <laughs> yeah so there was that so you had to be careful what noise you make but then i saw the lock fall to the floor and as far as i was concerned it was someone just trying the lock going i think i don't know if someone's in there and then bang oh. door opened and then the worst of it for me is that from across all through the hall down into the kitchen i saw this camera slowly angle around and <laughs> as it zoomed in across to see this open bathroom door of just me going hello and because uh, um, it was a uh, so there is film footage of you on the bog somewhere and because uh, it was it was sort of like that because russell brand was presenting it yeah, that's right. And it was the first time that I realised he was really good because mm. I'd seen him do some awful gigs. I saw him at yes. Late in Life in Edinburgh where he was just abusing the crowd. He had fake blood patches all around him, so he started smashing glasses on his stuff. That's right. Yeah, I was there and too I, um, And I saw him at the Ballon Comedy Club the, before I was a comedian. Um, he he uh, did the Saturday night, he did an open spot on Saturday night at the Banana Cabaret. Honestly, it was dire. Mm. And you could tell he was feeling really bad. It was just that he started singing a song about killing Giordano mm. after he was already dying. But and those people, like, the fearless comedians, oh, are yeah, often yeah. the ones who, they will divide the room into like the 99% who hate them and the 1% who do. But if that 1% builds up slowly, they get themselves an audience and then they get to become Russell Brand and that sort of thing. Oh, he's, he's amazing. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan nowadays. I, I, I've only met him once since. We did a gig like somewhere outside of London, like Worthing or somewhere like that. And um, he was really nice. And um, mm. I said, oh, we've met a couple of times before in Edinburgh, which is true. But this is back when he was heavily into his class A's and stuff. And he was like, oh, God. And he, he said, I'm just going to apologise right now because <laughs> I right. will have done it. He's, he's settled a lot, hasn't he, nowadays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, but, yeah, no, that was so... It was, mm. it was an experience for me being there and just, like... Just, yeah, no, that was, so that was probably the only real decent TV I've had, I think. It was certainly... It was, I mean, I know that my, my show reel on YouTube, which is well overdue an update... Um, but I've not done a lot of TV in, in a while. I've been, I've been behind the scenes for many years. But it opens with the clip from Kings of Comedy because it's my name being called on stage because it was the Big Brother house going into a comedy club. So you'd leave the living room yeah. door and you're on stage, you know. And uh, and the opening clip of my showreel is Matt Diktinsky responding to the fact that Russell Brand's just gone, Paul Carenza, and Matt Diktinsky going, go on without your shoes, it'll be funny, because I'm wearing a suit, but no <laughs> shoes, because I was not ready to go on yet, I was still getting dressed, you know, 
I had to walk on stage carrying my shoes going, where can I put these, you know? And um, yeah, an odd experience if you walk out of a room of your house into a comedy club where there are a hundred people there waiting. And it's like they've been invited into your home. And, and in fact, nowadays with a lockdown situation, that would be quite welcome. I could build a little comedy club and you're on, that would work. It wasn't, uh, I think they made the big mistake with that series because it was a bit of a flop, the actual series yeah. itself. They did one, yeah. one series on TV, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And um, they let the comedians out at the weekend, oh, which yeah, did, was the experience. To, to gig, just to gig. It wasn't any yeah. sense, sense of sanity or going to see the family. They wanted to go and do some gigs, didn't they? Yeah, and I think that was their mistake because after four days, you, you're in this environment where you sort of like, uh, you feel like you're changing and you're reacting within it. And it was always weird because every so often there'd be something like a, a plumber would fall fall through a door and go, oh, and run, yeah. go running off. Mm, <laughs> and, yes. and he'd go, whoa, something different has just entered yeah. our zone yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And I think letting them out the weekend and back in just ruined any form of social interact they, 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 they were never going to build that big brother feeling by releasing them out well we went a bit mad didn't we you, you i know you're doing jigsaws as you're doing now on, in self-isolation i was building a child's toy for about three days his jigsaws we go and um and it, we, it did stir crazy insanity did sort of kick in and i remember distinctly the very the rap part at the end of it because you think of you know i'd only seen what three producers a production assistant a couple of camera guys and russell brand and the audience but then at the rap party end of the week, when people had been evicted, you know, one or two of us had gone early or whatever. And yeah. at the rap party, you've got about two, 300 people there, vision mixers and makeup and sound, everyone. And they kept coming up to me saying, oh, do you know what? Well done for doing that. A highlight for us four days ago when you were caught on that toilet. Oh, we had a laugh at that. And I thought, oh, I forgot. I wanted to forget this. And like 300 people came up to me at the rap party and told me how hilarious it was when I was caught in the toilet. So, oh, just glad it was hey, never properly broadcast. Could have never, happen. could have never happened. Yeah, I remember because me, everyone jumped a, um, a taxi back to London. They all, all oh, we'll get a taxi back to London. Me and you stayed in the hotel. Yeah, we had a few. It was a nice hotel, a proper hotel yeah. after staying in basically the, yeah. it was the deal or no deal studio, wasn't it? It was it was fantastic, and uh, we had so we got absolutely slaughtered. And do you know what they put me? I think you got also. We, we both got a suite with a jacuzzi, if I remember right. We did, actually. and this is the good old days. Was drinking with us, and I was like, because it was the only hotel rooms they had left. They put yeah. us into, right? mm. and then the head of Edinburgh was buying us drinks, and I said, I've got a fucking jacuzzi. And he's like, what? Mm, mm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And I, I had this plan of I'm going to wake up in the morning and instead of a shower, I'm going to have a jacuzzi. And we drank till like three in the morning and I was screwed. I was like, uh, in the morning, all I could do was throw a bit of water on my face. Yeah. And just, that was just a good experience, up. wasn't it? And you come back and just try and rejoin society after eight days in the Big Brother house. And no, and, but it's not like you could say, and, and you saw us on TV because it wasn't. It was then replaced yeah. a week later by other other more famous comedians. Yeah, Andrew yeah, Maxwell yeah. did it on TV, and um, Nick Miller. Boothby did it, and um, Boothby Grafoe, Ava Vidal was on. That's right, David Copperfield, the non-magician version. And um, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, um, so it was a yeah. No, do you know it's one of my favourite experiences because it, it it is something that I actually kind of wanted to do, and mm. I ended up doing it without all of the. Uh, you know, being on TV with it. Yeah. Although at the time I was desperate to to get some TV, which I do TV now, became my way. Obviously I'm not an idiot, but um, it's not as crucial because I, I, I know 
how much money I make out of produ producing, promoting, and performing, and that that is plenty. Mm. And it's just uh, I would I would like to be richer. Yeah, we good. And maybe but over here, it's actually you know when you say in in the UK, oh, it's got to be one of these top eighty comedians. Oh, we need this, and then, and then we'll put the him in this sitcom, we'll put that, her in this, sitcom, we'll do this. Over here, it's like eight people get all of the TV work. It's such a small mm. margin. And so, you know, and they won't mind me mentioning the names, like Adam Hills, Dave Hughes, yeah. um, oh, and I've just forgot, Julia Morris. Do you remember Julia oh, Morris? Julia Morris, yeah, I remember Julia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's lovely over here. Yeah, she presents loads of stuff. Well, clearly, and Adam then, Hills, who's doing the same in Britain as well, he's got to pick a lane. You know, you can have one country, but it's greedy to have both. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about the BBC for it, I didn't even realise this, but the two Ronnies used to do the two Ronnies in the UK for six mm. months and then come to Australia and do the two Ronnies in Australia for six months. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. There you go. There's that's an absolute like, yeah. BBC match for you. That's what Bruno Tonioli, Bruno Tonioli does with old uh, Dancing with the Stars in America and, and, and Strictly. You know, he's cleaning oh, up yeah. by doing both. And it, they're even overlapping. He, he filmed them both at the same time. That's why last series he was stuck in LA. He's like, oh, I can't fly back twice a week like I normally would. You think, oh, come on, just just do one. Give something to the rest of us. Not like oh, no, Bruno, I, but, you know. I, I know I agree with the... Uh, don't do it. I mean, I, I look at it over here and there's some incredibly rich comedians and I'm like, could you just take maybe six months off? Yeah. <laughs> six months. Just, uh, I mean, um, just, 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 just a little bit of a go at this. So like, the good mm. thing about Perth Fringe, it's a good and bad thing. Um, very few comedians have made it. Even from Australia, you can't travel interstate, which is why I, I when they cancelled, it was... Let me say, no, no, when, when there was one single case of COVID in Queensland, and it was in Brisbane where I don't live, I live in the Gold Coast, I knew that Western Australia would shut down because mm. of this one case they found. So I got on the next flight, and whilst I was in the air, they shut down. So they let me in, but I had to do two weeks of right. quarantine. Yeah. And um, so there's very few comedians that sales are going well, but I, I do think that... Um, the lack of choice isn't a particularly good thing for the crowds. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There are loads of shows and the big comedians haven't bothered with it because uh, I was talking to Token, who are the Avalon equivalent over here, and they chose not to send any of their acts. So there's no big hitters at all. Right, right. So, like, you know, imagine in Edinburgh without any major acts mm. soaking up the crowds. It's like the good old days. It's like the fifties. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a, do you know it's like when Frank Skinner first went to Edinburgh? I remember reading in his book, he had a couple of days that were quiet, mm. but there was only sixty shows. Yeah. So you had a good good yeah, chance. You do all right. Of, uh, of going and getting loads of people, and uh, people would go and attempt to see every show in Edinburgh. Well, this is why I stopped doing Edinburgh because when it when it jumped, when I first went, there were a few hundred comedy shows, and when I last went, there were a few thousand. And I just thought, there's not the audience isn't growing to the same extent the number of performers are, and we're just getting fewer and fewer people to share around each year. It's just it's just not doable. And I, I, it still amazes me that people will opt to uh, to do paid fringe and lose ten thousand mm. pounds because they see it as you've got to be seen 
as as moving up the levels and yeah. stuff. And it it should be oh you know it's all image. I mean, a friend of ours uh, said to me that you know his his actual girlfriend, who's was a, a well known comedian, paid for him to do the paid fringe because she was sick of him not doing the paid fringe. Just, just get out the house, go go yeah, there. No no, she was like you know you know you need to be seen as going right. up and full image. Yeah yeah and, yeah. And da 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 and. Yeah. Um, Oh no, I think she was up in Edinburgh as well doing a oh, show. Fair enough. I see. Yeah, yeah okay. But yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just to do it, just to move on up. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit and of a sunk cost effect, isn't it? You just got to yeah. sunk the cost into it. You, I just need to get it working people, next year. Move up. People go to me. You're good enough to do the paid French. Yeah. Uh, people who come see my show over here, and I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I just don't justify it. I've got Yorkshire blood seething through my veins, and the concept of performing and not getting paid. Well, yeah. someone's making money I mean um, mm. a friend of mine Nick Cody who's a great Australian comedian he sold out Edinburgh and ended up with a couple of hundred bucks in his back pocket he was shocked and he was selling out a hundred seats a day so it's someone's getting that money it's well, the not most, just... the, yeah the most I've ever made at Edinburgh was when I did Free Fringe and put a hat round yeah. and, uh, and it was a nice venue and I had a nice show and I was getting 150 pound a show probably because it's a free fringe but you put the hat around everyone puts a couple of quid in oh, yeah. you get a nice bucket talk and you know forget your coins put your notes in you're getting fives and tens you know um a few years ago this oh, right. but uh i i say to i've got loads of bucket line but i'm like you know uh my favorite one that i wrote got one of my street entertainer friends uses it now which is a uh, you know what don't don't worry about it if you got it's a free fringe don't worry uh, you don't have to put money in, but please do come and say thank you. So on the way out, if you don't want to put money, it's not a problem. Just shake my hand, say thank you, and feel dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Now I'm doing Facebook live shows every week, and I'm saying to people, uh, you don't, you know, you don't have to, but there's you can pick your own ticket price, PayPal.me, some yeah. Paul or whatever, Patreon. The bucket talk is coming back. Uh, now it's online, you know. So um, and sure I show enough, photos, you know, I show photos of my daughter. Because uh, uh, I do more media. Oh man, it's a uh, at the end. She's getting a bit big now, but uh, I, I it was a beauty for a few years. At the end, I'd go, oh, you know, I talked. To, I talked about it during the show yeah. and uh, in my whinging palm show about Australia. Yeah. And I might get three hundred people in this uh, in the liquid rooms in, Mill- in Edinburgh. Sorry, and um, I'll, I'll just show. I'll show you my daughter, and there's a cute little photo of her. She, oh, she's all like this. So, oh, there she is in a playpen. And she's looking at me going, oh, daddy, what will happen if they don't put enough money in the yeah. bucket? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, what will happen? Put on those heartstrings. Then she's like, uh, then I go and I say, oh, well, we might have to sell your playpen. Don't worry. She's like, I love my playpen. I said, don't worry, we've got your old one. And then I just put the photo and she's just sat in a box. It gets a nice laugh, mm. but they know. Hey, And um, I got the worst review in Edinburgh one year. For you, I, d- I don't know whether it was because I used that, but she mentioned that in the review. It was like one star Broadway oh. baby, you know, like that. And um, she literally called me a dodgy uncle. It was the worst, honestly, it was the worst mm. review. And I'm like, oh, whatever, you know what I mean? And I looked at that day and I looked, because I keep a track on how much money I get off the audience. And I got like 380 or eight, 380 quid that day. And I was like, well, can't have been that bad, you know what I mean? And I, I remember that. Works all right. Yeah. And the show went well. and uh, But yeah, no, in Edinburgh, the most I'd made was when I did six shows a day. They were all free fringe. And I'd probably make it 
I made something like between 600 and a thousand pounds a day in cash. Wow. And if muggers had any nouse mm. about it, they should have mugged me after the sixth show because yes, I sir. was just carrying, <laughs> I didn't have enough time because I was doing so many shows to, to cash it up mm. or put it anywhere other than my backpack. And by the end of the, the six shows, that backpack was just full of cash. Look through the fringe guard, look at the reviews, go, that guy. There it is. Yeah, yeah. he's gonna have tons of money. Mm. And say, so, um, if you're a burglar, you should burgle in Edinburgh during the fringe, because that's where all the mid fringe, you know, burglar comedians flat, there will be tons of cash in there. Not in the bank, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to wrap up soon because recording space is limited on my computer. Um, right. No, no, no problem. If you want to talk about something specific at some other point, um, I would research it and then we could talk about it. It's not a problem. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, I could use a little bit for my British Broadcasting Century podcast. If you have any early memories of broadcasting from, you know, TV, radio, anything that is just the old inspirational classic memories. It's wonderful. TV used to be, um, do you know, it used to be such a big thing. And now you've got everything. You've got the choice. You've got... Uh, my, I was genuinely, and my one, my best friend, well, one of my best mates in the US, we have the same experience that our TV was uh, taken from us as a child, was repossessed oh, whilst no. we were <laughs> in Newcastle. Uh, I was watching Play Play School, I think it was, or Play Away. Mm. But uh, I do remember, the sun, I think it was Sunday mornings were the, the big, where I'd sit and put the test card on. I knew what time. Bagpuss was on, and I knew what time Mr. Ben was on, both of which lasted about four and a half minutes. They were the shortest shows ever. But I loved them, and I'd wait watching the test card, knowing that the first thing on BBC Two would be Bagpuss or Mr. Ben. And then I think on ITV, TV didn't start till about 11 in the morning, and the first show on a Sunday would be Tarzan. And... It was just a cartoon and it lasted about 50 minutes. And it was just great, that, that anticipation of, of something that's gonna happen, a TV show. And uh, you had to be there to watch it. I mean, obviously we got VHS, but with me, I never seemed to, I missed, this is what YouTube has done for us. Like for instance, one of my favorite shows in my teens was Quantum Leap. Oh yes. And, and I realized I'd never seen the, the final episode because I'd missed it. Right. And you go on YouTube, you could just watch it. Of it's course. easy. Yeah. It's, it's amazing <laughs> that now, nowadays it's so easy. And back then yeah. you would have probably paid 50 quid for a copy of it or something. And nowadays yeah, it's just there. Yeah. I know we're getting to the, towards the end, but I also realized that I'd, I'm running out of power on my laptop. Oh, there, there we go. go. So it is, yeah, no, and... Um, TV was just such a wonderful, I mean, up to, it wouldn't be irregular for someone sort of show to get 20 million viewers on a Saturday night. Mm. And in, in the USA, which has got 300 odd million people, 20 million is like the most you'd ever get for a TV show. But it would be regular and it would be Saturday night, Palladium, whatever. And I mean, I remember as a kid, I, 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 uh, I was watching when Tommy Cooper died I was watching that live right. and I didn't realize. And it was my granddad that pointed it out. He was like, oh, something's happened there. But BBC, the educational programs I used to watch as a kid, 
and they oh man i should have thought about this more because there's that's all right of that's, that's absolutely fine well there's there's pl plenty there anyway but if there's a particular thing we can um revisit but that's, that's great there's, there's, i only need a minute or two i've got a, yeah for each episode of that so that's you know we but the, the tarzan the quantum league and i should say as well tying together the big budget 20 million viewers and the youtube thing the other day i watched an episode a full episode of noel's house party um that really? I, in my head it was like the theme tune would summon me from across the house to go and hit that sofa as a family we watched noel's house party and watching it back, and the episode I saw on YouTube was one of the late series where the, the studio was cut in half, you know, and shrunk because of budgets. And you think, oh, I just, my memory of this was like golden, the best Saturday night telly could get. And I'm watching it now on a small screen on my phone on YouTube in a small studio. And it all feels smaller. It felt big back then, even though the TV was smaller than the, the one I currently have in front of me here. But it was the king of Saturday night. Mm. He's probably been one of the most consistent from the Swap Shop days. I think yeah, Noel Edmonds was on Swap Shop, if I'm right. Yeah. And uh, Saturday Morning Kids TV. And he was consistent. The house party was entertaining, you know, straightforward. Not too, mm. And now Anton Decker in charge of everything, aren't they? They literally they are, do this everything. Is it. And in fact, <laughs> only yesterday, on the, I was walking the dog with the kids and I explained to them, they're talking about game shows and Cracker Jacks that's back on TV nowadays. And I went through with them all of the, the things that Noel's house party used to do. Gotchas, NTV, Grab a Grand, Wait Till I Get You Home with the interviews with the kids uh, that would embarrass the parents. Um, and they would go, is there any more, any more? And they were hungry to know about these uh, just silly, inventive, fun game show things. That, uh, My favourite thing, because they, they, they actively um, had gunge. There was gunge. Mm. Yeah. In, in and there's not enough gunge nowadays. Slime is huge with kids. They love well, it. That's how we got onto it, in fact, because I was telling them about this Netflix show, The Floor is Lava, which, because they play oh. The Floor is Lava at school, that you can't touch the floor, you've got to move from chair to chair or bench to bench. And I said, you know, there's a show on Netflix that does that, but they fill the studio with lava. And they're like, what actual lava? But like, don't worry, it's going to be fun. There's a thing on TV called Gunge, Noel's House Party, and we went oh. from there. You know. Beautiful. Your, your kid, how, old you, how old are your kids now? They're seven and ten. So they're just getting into more, let away from children's shows into a more family based. You know, we watch a bit of Strictly yeah. together. We watch a few things together now. So we introduced Dolly, my, uh, my daughter, to Monopoly over Christmas. Oh, yeah, we just did that as well. We've just started Monopoly. They love it. Oh, she, she had a breakdown. She's been used to kids' Monopoly, which is a doddle. Yeah. Right? And it, <laughs> there's, no, there's no tactics. It's just you roll the dice, you put. Put a little cat, a little dinosaur yeah. in, but uh, her grandpa destroyed her. And uh, I've got a video of her, uh, Jeff Greenlow. Do you remember Jeff Green? Mm, yeah, he, he lives in Melbourne. We you know he's good uh, friends as well. Yeah. Uh, he loved it. He, he, <laughs> I put the video of Dolly up. He's like, Oh, and she's like, I don't have the money. I said, You can, move. I don't want a mortgage of property. I've got <laughs> granddad, I have <laughs> oh, granddad means business now. This is it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of this. And I wish you well in your remaining days of isolation. And may you have great comedy waiting for you at the end of it all. I get to go out for two hours tomorrow to get my COVID test. Oh, nice. I was tested last week. And uh, I don't think anything's happened since last week. So uh, I get another test tomorrow and then I can leave on Saturday. Just saying to the UK, this is how you control COVID. Yeah, we're looking. That's we're looking at learning. Let's all go out. <laughs> We're looking with envy. We should get there. We should overcome. 
stay well, stay in, stay safe, stay funny, stay laughing, stay everything. Always a pleasure. Speak Cheers, to you. Take care. Cheers, buddy. So that was Dan Willis. Thank you, Dan, for that time. And thank you for listening, if indeed you have. And if you haven't, then you won't hear this bit anyway. Stay subscribed and other random conversations like this will pop up into the inbox. I think the next one will be with Mr. Tony Vino, good friend of mine, and he's been on the Heptagon Club podcast before. You can still find the old episodes of the Heptagon Club there, or you can find my new podcast, The British Broadcasting Century. And I'm doing Facebook Lives every Monday or Tuesday throughout the lockdown pandemic period. So do find us on Facebook. My Paul Carenza page is where you can find PK's Uplift Live every Monday evening, a live show of fun and or games. I hope you're doing well. Feel free to drop us a line and maybe you could be a guest on the next episode if you fancy that recorded chat to be like Dan Willis and the many others who may or may not be popping up here on the next weeks, months. I mean, let's be honest, this could be a series of, of two or three. Let's hope it's not a series of one. I don't think that's technically a series, but I have plans. One or two more chats will appear in the coming weeks and months anyway. Thanks for joining us. Stay subscribed, but mostly stay well, stay happy where possible. Have good days, bad days, sometimes very bad days, but know that we will have some good days again. God bless you. This is Paul Carenza saying goodbye.